good to see you today. And uh, as always, it's uh, it's always a privilege to be able to serve and to spend uh, this time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> and unfortunately, we are in that season of sickness, you know, and it, it, it's pretty tough for a lot of people. Um, I don't know how in the world, I probably shouldn't say anything, how in the world I missed it. I mean, I was, I was, I was like the, um, in the center of it all. And, and what's that? Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't know how I missed it, but anyway. Um, before I start, though, Jaren, you want to hold up that poster there? Do you, we have, I made extra ones of these posters. That's the poster for the concert coming up. And I also have um, the banners outside now, so they're up. If you know of a place that you would want, want to put one, I made extra posters for that. So just see Jaronelle in her office. She's going to put a bunch around the church, but there's extra ones there for you to put that up. Um, I did talk to Art, and he is doing much better. And so they are going to try to get everything together. And, and he said there's probably be a lot of repeats this year. But I said, hey, your repeats are, are good enough for me. So, but I, want, I just want to encourage you to, to share that if you can. I also put it on my Facebook page. I see some of you have already shared it on your Facebook page. Please do. I, I think it's shareable, so just share it, share it as much as you want. Um, I'd like for you to do that so we can advertise that. We'd like to have... Wouldn't it be awesome if we could have a hundred people here for that concert? That would that would really be awesome to to see that. We are in our series called "Spend Little, Save Some, Share Much." This is our last the part of our series here. We are on this the concept of share much today, and it's going to be taken from Second Corinthians nine there verses one through ten. But one of the I would say one of the most stirring indictments on the church ever penned was made by Charles Schultz. Does anybody know who Charles Schultz is? Okay. He did this many years ago. Snoopy is outside shivering in the cold. There's a snowstorm and and he's, you know, he's beside an empty food dish. You know, he was looking longingly expecting, you know, expectingly towards the house and and so Lucy comes out and says, "Go in peace and be warm and be filled." That's Lucy for you. And then she turned and she went back into the house and slammed the door. In the last frame, you saw a confused Snoopy looking towards the house, shivering and hungry and utterly baffled by that statement. You know, Lucy, she didn't share anything with poor uh, shivering Snoopy. Uh, She did not have a sacrifice. You know, she didn't have to sacrifice anything for the words that she used. You know, she didn't have to sacrifice her time. She didn't have to sacrifice her money or her space or, or her heart, you know, her feelings or, or her needs in order to make a speech like that. All she did was she came out and said, go in peace and be warm and be filled. That's all she said. But she did not sacrifice anything to meet Snoopy's needs. To make the love of Christ known genuinely, to make the love of Christ known genuinely, to proclaim that love to the world accurately means that we must rebound Christ's sacrificial nature in our own lives. 
We have to be his example. That's what we have to do. We rebound love when we volunteer our most precious commodity, like our time. Time is so, so precious. And, and it may mean that we, you know, to help clean up a, a neighborhood park or to do something at the church or whatever. We rebound love when we donate funds that we would have lavished on ourselves at Christmas time. Instead, what we decide to do is give them to Little Daisy's Closet or do something like that. Um, we, we rebound love when we, when we give our, our favorite foods, our diapers, our formula, and some special goodies instead of those cans of food that we've had sitting in our closet for many, many years. We just don't want to eat them. And so we give them to the food closet. And, and it would be much better if we could give some of those things that are important to like our own food pantry or to a food pantry in town or whatever. We rebound love when we turn off the computer and we pick up our crying child, even though it means that we're going to have to stay up late a little bit later to finish the job. You know, <clears throat> when I was thinking about this, I thought about the passage in Matthew where, where Jesus makes that, that statement, what, the difference between the sheep and the goats. Remember that in Matthew 25 there? He says, when you've done it unto the least of one of my brothers, you've done it unto me. Martin of Tours was a Roman soldier, and he was a Christian. One cold winter day, as he was entering a city, a beggar stopped him and asked him, you know, Martin, you know, he, he didn't look at it, but he, he asked him if he had any alms for the poor, you know, alms, any money. But see, Martin didn't have any money, but the beggar was blue and shivering, and he was cold. And so here's what Martin did. Martin got down off of his horse, and he took his, his soldier's coat, which was worn and frayed, and what he did was he cut that in two, and he gave half of it to the beggar man. That night he had a dream. In it he saw the heavenly places and all the angels and, and Jesus in the midst of them. And Jesus was wearing, believe it or not, half of a Roman soldier's cloak. And one of the angels said to him, Master, why are you wearing that battered old cloak? Who gave it to you? And Jesus answered softly, My servant Martin gave it to me. When you've done it unto one of the least of these brothers of mine, you have done it unto me. That's a pretty clear picture, isn't it? Money plays a big role in our lives. So it really shouldn't be surprising to every single one of us in this room that the Bible has a lot to say about the subject of money, about stewardship, about sharing, about giving. You know, most of you have probably heard the old saying that money talks. <laughs> Someone once said, if money talks, all it ever says to me is goodbye. <laughs> Boy, is that the truth. I said goodbye to a lot of it yesterday, unfortunately. Um, but that's true. It, it, I want you to hear this story about talking money. Did you know that money no, that really does talk? <laughs> well, here, here it was a well-worn $1 bill, and similarly, a, a distressed $20 bill had arrived at the Federal Reserve Bank to be retired. And Well, you know what they do when they retire at the Federal Reserve Bank. As they moved along the conveyor belt to be burned, uh, 
They struck up a conversation. The $20 bill reminisced about all of his travels all over the country. I've had a pretty good life, he said. He proclaimed to the $1 bill. You know, I've been to Las Vegas. I've been to Atlantic City. I've I've been to the finest restaurants in New York. and, And I've been to performances on Broadway. I even got to go on a cruise to the Caribbean. Wow, the $1 bill responded. You really have had an exciting life. So tell me, said the 20, where have you been throughout your lifetime? And the $1 bill replied, oh, I've been to the Methodist church, the Baptist church, the Lutheran church. And the $20 bill interrupted and said to the $1 bill, what's a church? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how to manage God's money God's way. And like I said before, you know what? The Bible has so much to say about money. There, there are thousands of verses in the Bible that, that talk about wealth and finances. I mean, literally thousands of them. In a sense, we talked about this earlier, that the, your checkbook, your checkbook. Now, mine's a mess right now. I will tell you that. But your checkbook is a little window into your soul. It really is. Few things test your faith and maturity more accurately than how to manage your money. In fact, I believe how you handle your money is the the, the, the litmus test. You ever hear the litmus test? It's the proof of or the way to measure spiritual maturity because as I pointed out a couple weeks ago, Jesus said this, He said this in in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, from the New Living Translation. He says, and if you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Wow. In other words, God is watching me. He is constantly watching me to see how I handle my wealth. However much or however little I have. He's watching in this life. He's watching me. If God can't trust me with material wealth on earth, he won't, he won't trust me with true spiritual riches in, in eternity. How could he? How, how we manage money really does matter. And, and the thing that you got to understand, guys, we all have to grasp this, is that it has eternal consequences with it. It truly does. It has eternal consequences. And as I said before, there's only really three things that you can do with money. You can either spend it, save it, or share it. Or maybe you can do all three. You know, we talked about spending money God's way two weeks ago when we looked at the parable of the prodigal son. We talked about saving money last week when we looked at the story of Joseph. Both those stories were very good stories to, to share about spending and saving But today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about sharing money God's way, sharing it. So I want you to join me as we look at what the Apostle Paul had to say as we talk about sharing God's money God's way. Here's what he says. He says, there is no need for me to write to you about the service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. Now, before I continue on, how many of you were in the Wednesday night Bible study when we studied this? Was anybody, some of you were there. Because this is what we're talking about here. For, for I know your eagerness to help. I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them 
that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. Because if you remember in our class, the Corinthians had promised to, to do this offering for them, and they hadn't followed through with it. So let's move on. For if any Macedonian comes with me and finds you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, for food, will also supply the increase, your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Wow. In reading this passage of scripture here, it reminds me that Christians are to give to the church in proportion to God's provision to them. Instead of asking, how much is required of me? How much is required of me? Christians should be asking, how much can I give? How much can I give? The Old Testament command to give a tenth, a tithe, you know, isn't the same thing as the New Testament. The New Testament Christians were not commanded to tithe anymore, but rather encouraged to voluntarily give to the church and to give to God in proportion to their wealth. You know, many times that means for us is, is to give more than 10%. Because as Christians, Christians, we are called to radical generosity. That's what we are called to do. We are, we are called to that. We are called to radical generosity. You know, Jesus reminded us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what he tells us. Are you getting the picture of what Jesus is trying to tell us? You know, Jesus is more concerned He's more concerned about where your heart is. Where your heart is. You know, giving from a heart of generosity is always going to mean more than giving from a command. So getting back to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, I want, I want to share three principles of, of giving, godly giving, that I want to highlight today. The first is this. The first principle of biblical sharing is purposeful. 
purposeful. I don't know if you read that in that passage there. You know, have, have you ever heard the story about the young farmer who made a promise to his pastor to give 10% of his profits from his farm to the church every year? You know, he, he was just starting this farm. And, and like most farms, the first few years, you really struggle. You know, he only managed to make $1,000 profit in the first year. So at the end of the year, he wrote the church a check for $100. Well, this continued year after year, and gradually the, the farm started to turn a more significant profit. It, he made $10,000 one year, then $100,000. And finally, one year he made a million dollars. But he, he just couldn't bring himself to write a check for $100,000 to the church. That's just too much money, he thought. He just couldn't bring himself to write a check for $100,000. So, so, so he stopped by the pastor's office and he explained the situation and he begged the pastor to let him out of his promise that he made. This tithing business, he said, has to stop. It, it, was, it was fine when, when my tithe was $100 or $1,000, but I can't afford to give $100,000. You, you've got to do something about it, pastor, of course. So the pastor looked at him for a second, and then he dropped to his knees and he began to pray silently. And eventually the man said to him, what are you doing? Are you praying that God will let me out of my promise? And the pastor looked up at him and replied, no, I'm praying for God to reduce your income so that you can afford to tithe again. Hmm. It's an interesting way of looking at it. I know it's a silly story, but... I think it illustrates something that Paul is trying to tell us in this passage. And that is this from 2 Corinthians 9, 7 there. It says, each man, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God doesn't want you to do that. God loves a cheerful giver. Each man must decide in his own heart. You know, older translations will say this. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That's the New King James Version of it, as he purposes in his heart. In other words, sharing should be intentional or purposeful. That's what it should be. You know, what we give to the church, to, to charities or other ministries ought to be decided in our hearts and written in our budgets. I don't know about you, but in my budget, the church is at the top. Unfortunately, so is taxes. But the church is at the top. You know, it, it should be at the top of our budget as the first fruits of giving. The first fruits of giving. And, and another thing, too, you know, while I'm, I'm on it. If I miss a Sunday, if I'm sick or I'm on vacation, you know, that's not a Sunday for me to miss giving. You know, I always make it up. When I come back, I'll, I usually give double. Whatever I have to, whatever I'm giving, I give double that next week if I'm back. You know, in the Old Testament, God required the people of Israel to tithe. That, that is to give one-tenth of their income to the Lord. Notice what he says there in Leviticus 27, 30. He says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And notice what he says in Numbers 18, 26. Speak to the Levites. Who were the Levites? They were the religious people. They were the religious, the priests. Speak to the Levites and say to them, 
when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I gave you, uh, I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth. So see, the priests weren't even uh, exempt from that. Thank you. They, they could do that. They had to do that. God required them to do it as well. You must present a tenth of, of, the, of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Every single one of us is required to do that. Bob Hart, Jerry Timbrook, or whoever other minister you know, isn't exempt from that. We're supposed to give. And so the, the New Testament doesn't give us a, a specific percentage of that, you know, like, like it does in the Old Testament. And as I said earlier, Christians, we're not commanded to give 10%. We are not. Rather, I think it's more important for us to look at it this way. We have freedom in Christ to give as we purposed in our own hearts to give. That's what the scripture tells us. For, for some of you, that may be 5%. It may be 10%. It may be 15%. For some of you, it might be 20% or 25%. Who knows? Or it may be a specific dollar amount. That's what you can give. But remember, this is important. Remember, we are called to cheerful, radical generosity. You don't do it reluctantly. Oh, I gotta do that. I gotta give it to the church. Don't be grumbling and complaining about it. God doesn't want that. The point is, that each one of us should give however much we have decided ahead of time and budgeted to give. Because see, if, if we aren't purposeful in our giving, then we aren't sharing God's money God's way. We'll be giving God leftovers instead of the first fruits. Now, I, I do like leftovers as far as food goes. Some. But God doesn't. God wants the first fruits. Don't give him the leftovers. This is why church giving has been in decline in America. Listen to this. This this just shocked me. According to an article by Relevant Magazine, 80% of churchgoers give only 2% of their income. That, that, blew, that blew my mind. I, I couldn't believe that. The article went on to say that on average, Christians are only given about 2.5% per person today. And then he, this article went on to say this. During the Great Depression back in the 1920s and 30s, do you want to take a guess at what the church members were given at that time? 3.3%. They were higher than what we are now today. Numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't the point. It's not the point to guilt anybody. The larger point is this. The, the larger picture is what would happen if believers were to be intentional about their giving? What would happen? The article goes on to say the global impact would be phenomenal. If every Christian gave, let's just say for sake of argument, 10%. Because that's what the old, you know, that, that was what the tithe was. Let's just say every Christian was to give 10%. There would be an additional $165 billion for the churches to use and distribute to their communities and to missions. Listen to these facts and figures. 
this, this blew my mind. Take that 165 billion and take 25 billion from that. 25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $25 billion. Of that 165 billion, if you take 12 billion, 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 a day. Can you imagine living on $1 a day? One billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. I think that's a little low, but still. So what that means, guys, is that 112 billion would be left of that 165 billion for additional ministry work and expansion in the United States and abroad. If every Christian would just give 10% of a tithe. To me, those are some amazing numbers. And that's why it's so important that our sharing be purposeful. That you're doing it on purpose. Further, the second point that I want to point out this morning is this. Is that the second principle is that biblical sharing should be pleasant. You know, there was a small church in Virginia that needed a new roof in the worst way. I mean, they absolutely needed a new roof, but there was no money in their account. Most of the congregation of people there were very poor except this local banker, and he was, he was kind of this miserly old man, this Scrooge, and he, he always sat in the back pew by the door so that he could get up and sneak out during prayer right before the offering was collected. So one day... The pastor called a meeting to talk about the need of a new roof. When the pastor asked if anyone would be willing to donate to the project, this tight-fisted old man just sat quietly. So as the pastor prayed for God to send them money for the roof, a piece of the roof broke off and it fell down and hit the old banker right on top of the head. He immediately spoke up and said, Fine, fine, I'll I'll give a $1,000 for the roof. And one of the men in the congregation yelled out, Hit him again, Lord! Hit him again! (laughs) But here's the truth. God's not going to hit you over the head (laughs) to get you to be, you know, to, to be serious about your giving because He doesn't want you to be giving out of a grudging attitude or a grudging heart. In fact, Paul tells us, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, He says, each of you should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, giving shouldn't be painful. It should be pleasant. As some of you may know, the word translated here for cheerful is the Greek word that says it's um, hilaros, which, of course, we get our word hilarious from. And the idea is that sharing with, with others in need, whether it's directly or through the church or through some charitable organization, should be joyful. It should be a happy experience. It should, sharing should be fun. It should be fun. Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what he tells us. 
That probably sounded like nonsense when the Apostle Paul first heard it, even though it came straight from Jesus. And it, and it still sounds strange to, to most people today, but it's true. Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey calls giving generously and joyously the most fun you can have with money or things. In my ministry, in my ministry, I've had the opportunity to give many things away. I've given money away. I've given food away. I've given clothing away. I've given toys away. My youth group at Newberry, at Christmas time, we always got together and I ordered, I'd get 5,000 candy canes. And, and we would, we would have the, the printer, the, the, the printer guy would always print these little sheets that would have these holes in them so we could take these big candy canes and stick them through the holes there so we would have a candy cane and we put the candy cane story there because if you've ever read the candy cane story, it's pretty cool. And it just gives Jesus all the glory. And so we would take those and we would take them down to the mall. Unfortunately, the mall's not there anymore. <laughs> So we would go to Walmart or wherever we would go, but we would have opportunity, you know, two or three hours, we would give out 5,000 candy canes. And the expression on people's faces was absolutely priceless. Did you know that there would actually be a few people out of all those people that we would give candy canes to that would not accept it? (laughs) They just wouldn't accept it. So I challenge each of you here today, To get involved in giving, be creative in what you do, and involve as many of us in this church as possible while you're doing it. That's a challenge that I give to you. I know that you guys did something here when Johnny was here with this free yard sale thing. What a great idea. Um, you know, you could, you could buy water and go down to one of these, like this, the parade that was there last night, the, the Christmas parade, and give water away to people. Put a sticker with the church's name on it or whatever you want. Or don't even do that. Just give them water. Just walk around and give people water. There's all kinds of things that you can come up with. John D. Rockefeller, who gave nearly $540 million to various charities and institutions before his death in 1937, once said this. He said, I think of giving not as a duty, but as a privilege. I think the number one key to becoming a cheerful giver is something that Dan was talking about today, and that's gratitude. There is a direct correlation between gratitude and generosity. The more thankful we are for what God has given us, the more pleasure we take in giving to others. You know, I've had an opportunity to in, in different ministries to to see this happen. Sarah and I were going through a really difficult time here back in my, probably my, my mid-30s. First of all, I, I was really sick and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. It took them forever and a day to figure out that I had some kind of um, autoimmune disease and it took, it took a long time for that. And we were at the point where, you know, I hadn't had a raise in like five or six years and we thought maybe we were going to lose our house. And there was a deacon in our church, and he came to me and said, I'm going to go to the elders. And I told him, I said, I, I don't do it on my behalf because I don't, I don't want someone speaking for me. But he did it anyway on his behalf. But this is what he told the guys. He said, when I leave this earth and I stand before God, 
I want God to indict me on saying that I was too generous to my minister (laughs) and not generous enough. And whether it's a minister or a church member or whoever it is, you know, we hopefully God will indict us on the, the concept that we were too generous. That's what I want for my life. I hope that's what you want for your life. So first we see that, that sharing money God's way is purposeful and it's also, it should be pleasant. And then the last thing that we want to point out here is this. It's the third principle of biblical sharing is, is productive. You know, back in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this interesting illustration. He writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, there, this is the New Living Translation. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. In other words, if you want to produce a crop, you have to be generous. You know, many of us have this, this wrong-headed belief about money. That, 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 And if we don't crush this myth, we are never going to grow into the men and women that God has designed us to be. Dave Ramsey calls this the great misunderstanding. It's the mistaken belief that the only way to get more is to hold tightly to what you have. That's what he tells us. To hold tightly to what you have. The problem is that while a clenched fist keeps money from slipping out, what it does is, is it also prevents any more from getting in. And though an open hand might let some cash get away, more finds its way to your hand. In other words, it's the generous givers who win in the end. Dave Ramsey also writes this, and I, I really like it. He says, I can promise you from meeting thousands of millionaires that the thing the healthy ones share is their love of giving. You ever see that um, that illustration about the monkey where I think it was like a coconut and they tied a coconut to the tree and they, they do a hole in it. They put a nut in the coconut and the monkey goes up there and he wants to get the nut out so he reaches in there to get it out and then he can't he can't get it out because he won't let go of the nut. And then that's how they capture the monkey. Don't you see yourself like that sometimes? Yeah, you know, I got this, uh, this typhus. I'm not going to let go of that, 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 that walnut. No way. I'm not going to let go of it. And then you, then you get hammered. The Bible repeats this concept over and over again. For instance, we read in, in, uh, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. You know, Solomon puts it a little more concise in Proverbs eleven twenty four when he says, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. <laughs> Solomon, I mean, he was right to the point on that one. Absolutely right to the point. You know, God even challenged the Israelites in the, in the last book of the Old Testament, saying this in Malachi chapter 3, he says this in, in verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it to be stored. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So... 
What if we did that? What if we did that? What might happen if we took God up on his challenge? What would happen? What if we stopped clenching our fist and made generous giving a regular part of our lives? How might God bless us through others and others through us? You know, that's exactly what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. You know, I want to challenge you this day to review your giving to the church and pray about increasing your giving. But here's what I want you to know this. This is the one thing I want you to know. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. So I'm taking the lead on this. I have already purposed, and I've talked to my wife about this, we've already purposed in our hearts to increase our giving to Cornerstone and God's ministry here by at least 20%. And and maybe we're going to do more down the road. I don't know yet, but that's what we want to do. You know, my challenge to you is to consider doing the same thing. Maybe you can only do 1% or 5% or 8%. And some of you are on a fixed income. So it would be really tough for you to, to do 20%. Ask God to help you figure out where you can cut in your budget to give to his work. Maybe it's going to mean that I can't have that bag of potato chips and that soda this week. And maybe next week. (laughs) My Pepsi won. (laughs) Maybe that's what it's going to require for you to give a a little more. You know, then what you need to do is, and ask God to help you figure out how you can do that. Then, Then purpose in your heart, purpose in your heart to do that. But, but some of you here today, I know that you can do at least 10%, 15%, 20%. The same challenge is open to you. Still, there are some here today who haven't purposed in their hearts to give at all. You know that, you see that in, in every church. You remember last week we talked about out of 100 giving families, 37 will not give at all, give anything at all. So if that's you, I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on you. I'm just saying my challenge to you is to, to talk to the Lord about it. And, and try to give to his work. Purpose in your heart to do that. My prayer is that you will step out in faith and start giving. That's the point. Step out in faith. Because see, it is a matter of stepping out in faith. You know, it, it just doesn't matter. You know, I believe you will soon discover that you can't outgive God. You cannot. My prayer is that you, you, you discover that, that you cannot outgive God. He will bless you more than you are being blessed. I guarantee you that. But see, here's another challenge I'm going to throw out at you here too. This is really important as well. I want to encourage you to pray about this, this whole thing. Um, and that is of giving of your time and your talent to the work of the church. Some of you are doing a lot. Some of you aren't doing so much. We need leaders. We need people to step up and be involved. We need men who desire the office of eldership to step up. There are ministries out there that aren't being done or we aren't doing that match up perfectly with your skill set and God is just waiting for you to step out in faith out of your comfort zone, and use your talent for him. 
God's just waiting for you. He knows your, he knows your skill set. He knows what you can do. And it could lead to, anything you do can lead to a ministry. Prime example is some of you are really good at making wreaths for doors. You could use that somehow as a skill set for your, for a ministry. Some of you are really great with animals. You know, you could do something with, with that. Some of you are really good with hands. Some, some people know how to tie flies. We, we had some people in our church that, that, and the former church had that would tie flies and they would have kids come in and they would teach them how to tie flies. You know, who, who knows what, what you could do? We just need to step out of our comfort zone and use our talent for Him. As I said at the beginning of this series, the number one key to winning with money is admitting that it's not our money. It's God's money. He owns it all. Remember the passage in our Psalms that says He owns the the uh, the cattle on a thousand hills and, and dave ramsey says well he, he also owns the hills as well <laughs> he owns them too he owns everything everything belongs to him we are simply called to manage it for a short period of time then it passes on to future generations you know i was just realizing that the other day as i was going down the road i'm thinking you know someday i will not own my home anymore someone else is going to own my home because i will be gone I'm going to have a better home. Someone else is going to own your home. Someone else might, if, you're, if your car's still running, someone else might own your car. Someone else might own your business someday. We are just called to be good stewards of what he has given us right now. The Bible urges us to be smart with money. Unlike the prodigal son, we don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be careless. We don't want to be short-sighted in how we spend money. We want to be wise like Joseph. We want to save money because saving is practical. It's, it's, it's something that's planned. It's, it's profitable. And finally, we want to share money God's way because we, never, we, we are never more like God than when we are giving. We are never more like God than when we're giving. I like what Rick Warren, he puts it this way. Rick Warren does. He says, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. Boy, is that true. So maybe you've thought, you know, you've bought into the myth that the only way to get ahead is to hold tightly to what you have. Uh, Maybe you've been tight-fisted when it comes to sharing God's money because you're afraid that if you, you, you won't have enough for yourself or your family. And I get that. Well, you know, you need to be smart about that. I want to encourage you to start spending, saving, and sharing money God's way today. You know, it will, if you will start giving intentionally and cheerfully, I truly believe then God will provide all your needs and produce a great harvest of generosity in your life. He will do that. And if I can help you get there, please see me. I'd be more than happy to help. You know, I I can't say that I'm an expert on anything when it comes to finances. Chet knows a lot more about finances than I do. He's the man. I tell you, but um, I I would help if if you needed help with that. Ultimately, none of this, this whole series is not to guilt anybody into doing anything. 
And I would not ask you to do something that I myself personally would not do. But I'm telling you right now, I'm serious about this. If we want this church to survive, it will survive on the generosity of its people. Guaranteed. So this morning I'm going to ask the band to head on up here. And we're going to close our time together. And if you, if there's a decision that you need to make for the Lord this morning, whether you want to be immersed in the Christ, you want to de- rededicate your life, or you, you've got a prayer that you want to, to share, or you know, you, you want to, to, to do something about your finances, see me, we'll talk about it. You know, again, I had said to you earlier about the idea of, you know, one of the things that my wife and I have done is we're, we're going to put in our will, we already have it for another church, but we're going to put the Cornerstone Church in our will to make sure that the church has that money so that um, when we're not here, future generations will be able to benefit from that. That's what we want. We want that. You know, we've had some pretty generous people give quite a bit of money. And I haven't been in a church like that, that has, you know, for as small as this church is, just how much they do in giving. Praise the Lord for that. You got a good attitude when it comes to that. And I thank the Lord every day that I, I, I love being able to be your minister. I love being able to be here to serve. It's a great privilege. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to close our time together by singing, The Savior is Waiting.